The new world order is being talked about more and more. And with it, new anti-Christian philosophies, such as secular tolerance, are promoted by people like Lady Gaga and other pop stars and other people. Something I read just a few weeks ago, written by Fritz Stanberger in the Island Online News. Knowing truth is impossible, so everyone is free to think and act as he likes, with one exception. Those who have the audacity to believe that they know the truth, particularly if they think God has revealed it to them, are not tolerated. Think about it. That's the world in which we're living today. Tough days like the days of Daniel are here for many around the world. They're talked about in this book where a family who comes to know the Lord is kicked out of their village, deprived of their land, got rid of because they no longer fit society. And yet... Knowing God, they have stood firm. But as we begin to face them, and I have no doubt days like that are ahead, let us not lose hope. Let us not forget what God has said about himself. As we read his word, the Bible, one constant theme is that God is faithful from Noah to Abraham, Moses, King David, Esther, all of those who walked with God saw him to be faithful. Things didn't go well all the time or be comfortable, but God used each one in a powerful way. Malachi writes in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. And to the Jews who are going through a tough time, Hebrews 13.8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. What this means in practical terms is that what God has done in the past, with, for and through his faithful followers, is no more difficult or less likely today than in 540 BC when Daniel spent a night with the lions looking on, unable to touch him because the Lord God stopped them. Daniel faced a challenge when he refused to give in to the demands to stop praying and deliberately carried on doing what he did each day, going to his window, kneeling down and praying to the Lord facing Jerusalem. The fact that a demand that he stopped with a threat that he'd be thrown into the lion's den didn't deter him. As we've read Chapter by chapter, I've been here with you. Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, as they're commonly known, did not compromise their commitment to the Lord Jehovah at any time. From the time we first met them as teenagers, when they were taken from their royal surroundings in about 605 BC to Babylon, probably chained and carted away, they lived for God throughout the years as teenagers and on into adults. 
They were trained by the Babylonians to help the king with the oversight of the Jewish people. Daniel honoured God, no doubt worked hard, and graduated summa cum laude at the top of all the other students upon examination by Nebuchadnezzar. We're told in Daniel 1.20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And these were youths. Our God is capable. Not only were they very clever, we're told, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He went to ask. He didn't just rebel. But he went to ask, believing that as he honoured God, God would honour him and he would be able to continue honouring God. Now in the story today, we see him in about 539 BC. He's no longer in his teens. He's not 30, but he's now an elder statesman, up in his 80s, and he hasn't changed one bit. He's still a captive. He still lives his life in an uncompromising manner, and he is still a leader. Daniel made up his mind to honour God when he was a teenager, and that commitment to honouring God is as real now at 80-something as it was at 16. He will not defile himself just to please anyone. And we're not going to move him or budge him when he faces a challenge with dire consequences, as some of us do occasionally. Here's an example, an example that we should follow because he relies on God. As we read Daniel 6, we read of the last act that we know about Daniel. In some ways, it's the most dramatic. It shows us the challenge that he faced working with depraved people who simply want his position and power and are determined to get him out of the way. That happens in the world today too. It shows once again what Nebuchadnezzar learned and has testified to in Daniel 4.17 that God's hand rules the kingdoms of the world And he appoints whoever he desires to rule over them. And not only that, he can turn the hardest of unbelieving hearts to recognise his power. As we talk to others about the Lord, let's not forget that. It's not us that changes people. It's God's power that changes people. And nothing and nobody is beyond his power to change. When he determines, the time is there. Daniel now lived his life in the service of a new king, Darius, while continuing to honour the Lord as he'd done for the last 65 years. He was obviously diligent and competent because Darius promoted him and from didn't take Darius long to recognise that there was something special about Daniel. He was clearly seen to be capable. He could be trusted, so Darius decided to promote him to oversee the whole empire. I believe that we can all learn from Daniel. For him, life goes on. 
His priority to live as a man who had a close relationship with God continued all through his life. We're told that Daniel lived according to his faith. Daniel simply shows us by his life, here, now, under real pressure, how to live as a servant of God. And while Daniel lived as a servant of God, he acted in an honourable and exemplary way. He no doubt let it be known that it was the Sovereign Lord, the God of the Jews from Jerusalem, who helped him. It was his faith in the Lord of the universe, not a Babylonian God, that was his source of skill and inspiration. Daniel was different. He was very different. As a foreigner, he didn't try to fit in and compromise his faith to do so, but he stood out with the competence obviously given by his God, a God those in Babylon saw as foreign. So as somebody faithfully serving God, who was inevitably challenged by some jealous, self-serving characters, just like happens today, he acted in faith and the Lord enabled him to survive. What does the word faith mean? How would your neighbours understand faith if you told them? You need to have faith. The word faith has four synonyms. That's four other words that mean what the Bible means by faith. So let's have a look at them. A word that's as bad as faith to fully understand or to, to talk about is the word belief. It's bad because it's as confusing to the non-Christian mind as the word faith is. If you just tell your neighbours that to have faith is to believe, they are none the wiser. But there are three other words or phrases that express that meaning. You could say, faith is to rely on something, to trust something, to depend on something. We have other meanings that we've attached to faith and belief, but that's what the words mean here. Daniel relied on God. He was trusting God. He was depending on God. And God honoured that. God used Daniel because he knew that Daniel was trusting him and he had a purpose to use this uncompromising man to speak to the king. So when a law banning worship to any other god or being other than the king was proclaimed by a somewhat gullible, unthinking king to kill or get rid of anyone who openly worshipped God and especially in the minds of those proposing it to get rid of Daniel, Daniel had the choice that all of us have when government or community proclamations would cause us to act contrary to our firm belief in God. But Daniel trusted God. He was relying on God and he was depending on God as he had been for the last 60 years. So why would he change from worshipping his God as he always had? We read that Daniel regularly prayed in front of windows that were facing in the direction of Jerusalem. For Daniel, the future of mankind was not bound up with the great city Nebuchadnezzar had built, but it involved Jerusalem, 
the city Nebuchadnezzar and his troops had destroyed. But you see, Daniel believed that the destruction of Jerusalem and the deportation of many Jews was just an event and that one day the city of David would be rebuilt. And so he never ceased to pray that God would one day restore its ruins, rebuild its walls and take up again the purpose he believed had been cut off only for a season. It was precisely this persistent loyalty to the old ways of Judah, the constant refusal to cut himself loose from Jerusalem and the God of Jerusalem, and the repeated claim that truth and salvation for the world lay through God alone and nowhere else that gave reason for many powerful people in Babylon to hate him. Darius could trust Daniel because in the midst of the graft and the corruption of every kind, Daniel stood out as a man governed by a sense of loyalty and integrity that stemmed from his right relationship with God. Now Darius is suddenly confronted and found himself in an uncomfortable spot. He's insecure in his exercise of authority because he was easily duped by the jealous governors. In contrast, we see Daniel's strength and integrity stand secure in the knowledge that it's the Lord of the universe that he is serving. This is a continuation of the perpetual conflict of the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. A conflict between the unchangeable laws of the Medes and Persians being carried out by devious men in an attempt to overcome the law of God's kingdom by which the righteous are ultimately vindicated. The incident serves as a salutary reminder that temptations to compromise are never just isolated incidents in our spiritual life, but they're part of a bigger battle that is going on. Notice how those who are accusing Daniel speak. It was just a little lie, just a word, just shading the meaning a little bit claiming that they all suggest this measure to ensure that everybody worships Darius for this period of time. But Darius should have had the courage to say, wait on, what does Daniel think about it? After all, Daniel, who wasn't there, was the head of the kingdom under him. But then we read of Daniel's response, and it's one that we can all learn from. How would we have responded? I tell you, it would have been a challenge, wouldn't it? From the prophet Jeremiah's writing, Daniel would have been aware that the predicted 70 years for the desolation of Jerusalem was almost at an end, that the day of restoration was near. So did it make sense for him to continue honouring God when Jerusalem's restoration was nearly there? It was only a month. Surely a change to his habits for a month wouldn't hurt. Is that how we think sometimes? But with wisdom and courage, he saw through the wiles of his adversaries. A faithful life for 80 years was not meant to compensate for a short period of unfaithfulness. Rather, it was a preparation for more faithfulness to God. The God who had placed him in key leadership positions, regardless 
of who ruled the land. Daniel was still there, serving a foreign king now, and there'd been three or four Babylonian kings, now the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel was still there as a leader, because God had him there. So instead of deciding to do what the guys wanted him to do, he knelt and he prayed and he worshipped God. His mind and emotions were all focused on the power and the promises of God, symbolised as he knelt to pray before the window facing Jerusalem. Now Daniel, this book Daniel is not the only place where lions are mentioned in the Old Testament. In the Psalms, the psalmist says, the godly man is threatened with lions and says, indeed, God is able to overcome even that. In Psalm 57, they will fall into the very trap that they have prepared for me. Which is exactly what happens in Daniel. Poor Darius, he didn't have the wisdom to find a way around his situation. And those who should have been helping him, his wise men, to find a way around the laws so that he could rescue Daniel, were gleeful that they were getting rid of Daniel and they didn't help Darius. And so, with no way out of his predicament, he let Daniel be arrested and thrown into the lion's den. And while Daniel was in the den being ministered to by God's angel, Darius was distraught. He went without food, entertainment and sleep. He was powerless to help and driven to despair. He had no peace and early in the morning we read it reveals something of the lesson that he had been learning. Because what king today would go to a lion's den after a person had been supposedly in there all night and call out hoping there might be some bones to answer. But instead Darius, early in the morning, went out. He called out and his words indicate his deep hope that Daniel, who he knew without a doubt was different because his God was a part of his life and had made an incredible difference in his service to the king. Could we even say that he had an anticipation that Daniel's God had acted. That his God was one who really could make a difference. And to his delight he found that Daniel's God was such a God because he was the one true God. And in response to him calling out, listen to Daniel's words. It was incredible. It was incredibly gracious to Darius as he had been to Nebuchadnezzar, who he'd served. So while standing there, you can picture it, still in the lion's den, with the lions looking out, he called out to Darius, My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they did not harm me because I was found blameless before him and before you, O king. I have done no harm. Daniel was rescued, unharmed and his mind at peace. The dark side to Daniel's deliverance is the judgment that falls on those who sought to destroy the representative of the kingdom of God. 
Those lions which simply sat and looked on Daniel through the night as the meal they would normally have had to fight over had to wait no longer. Daniel's accusers and their families were rounded up and thrown into the lion's den themselves and we're told they were pounced on and their bones were broken before they hit the floor of the den. Let nobody deny God's power. The lions which had a man in their den all night but did not touch him because God sent an angel to prevent them showed they weren't stuffed exhibits. They were real lions. And they acted as real lions do when the foes of God, the men who set Daniel up, were thrown in. Faith in God does what is right. And that's what Daniel is doing here. It's very easy for Daniel to be misunderstood at this point, perhaps by some of the other Jews. Because with his success over the years, you can imagine some of them saying, look at Daniel, he just crawls to whoever's in control. How else would he get there? But Daniel knows the people of Israel have been placed there by God. It's not their task to overthrow the Babylonian government. God isn't calling them to do that. But God is saying, after 70 years, I will take you home. You stay there. That's your task. So, if we're in a situation like that, what's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to honour God, to act rightly and to live with integrity. Daniel's faith doesn't cause offence. Notice one One thing, the limits of civil obedience. This is a classic illustration of I will go this far and no further. That though the government or a society may call upon us to do this or that, when it calls upon me not to pray to my God or to act in a manner contrary to God's word, then that calls upon me to obey what God has told me to do. My choice in that circumstance is a choice of obeying God or man. And at that point, it must be God. So Darius's edict is disobeyed. Daniel did what was right, and he went on praying. He didn't make a fuss. There was no exhibition. There was no variation in his pattern. For Daniel, it was to kneel down and to pray to God as usual. And the result we see here, God honoured Daniel and ensured that he was alive in the morning, ensured that he had more time to be his representative. Daniel greeted Darius with courtesy, and obviously Darius saw God's power and made the proclamation, we read in verse 26, that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Daniel had honoured God. He'd lived with integrity, before both God and his king. He had treated his king with respect and he had trusted God with the results. That's what we're called to do too. So as we live our lives and perhaps face challenges in the days ahead that tests our endurance and our faith, can God be trusted? We need to trust him and when we do, we will see God helps us to endure through the hardships that he places us in. Of course he can. We believe he is omnipotent. 
That means all power is given. All power is his. There is nothing that he cannot do. As we go into the days ahead, let us remember that God has not changed. He hasn't changed one bit. And what he has done in the past, he can do today too. He loved us so much that he sent his own son to die so that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sacrificed his own son for us, for you, for me. Can he be trusted? Of course he can be trusted. The question is, do you trust him? Do I trust him as Daniel did? Or do we see something and have the tendency to hope the trouble will pass and we'll just pick up the pieces later on? That's the choice that disbelief makes. And one day, it will be too late. Let each of us determine to live our lives in the days, the weeks and the years ahead as long as God gives us. Remembering that Daniel stood for what was right. He did not cower but did what was right, and the night he spent with the lions, I believe he spent at peace with God, knowing God was with him. The psalmist in Psalm 91 writes, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. That is true for us all. Let each one of us decide to trust our lives to the loving, all-powerful, heavenly Father. Not wavering, but giving him the option to show what he can do as we meet challenges, as we're in circumstances that are not comfortable, maybe that need a miracle, Our God is able today, just as he was with Daniel. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we thank you for the example that Daniel was. Father, we acknowledge that there's a battle going on in the world, a battle against your kingdom, and yet you have called us to serve you. Father, we ask that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, to be, to be prepared to step out, trusting you, perhaps to do something that the rest of society is not willing to consider, but when we know it's your will and your purpose, to trust that you can use us to make a difference, perhaps for someone whose life you want, to become a part of your kingdom. Father, as we go into the week ahead, we ask that you would keep us focused on you, focused on your son, who you sent as a baby, who grew up a perfect man, who died on a cruel cross so that we could live. He defeated the power of the evil one. And that gives us hope. 
Help us, Lord, to walk in that hope. For we ask it for your glory.